Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. Today we're talking with Katie Horwich of Women Against Negative Talk and the Wantcast. She has so many incredible ideas, things that she's doing, and she's seriously just going to take over the world. Hi, I'm Jay Pryor, life coach, speaker, and author of Lean Inside, Seven Steps to Personal Power, a practical guide to transformation. My definition of transformation is chipping away at everything that is not your highest, best self. In our podcast, Doing the Work with Jay and Becca, we take on personal transformation to have you show up powerfully in your life and business. And I'm Becca Booth, marketing strategist focusing on strategy, sales, and social, and I'm the guinea pig. So I'm the one doing the work right along with Jay, and I'm the fresh face to it. So I'm still new at all of this stuff and learning along the way. So I'm ready to learn along with you. Listen to our podcast, and we know our commitment to you is that we leave you inspired, lifted up, and no matter what, knowing that you're on the right path as long as you're willing to take progress, not perfection, to create your life exactly the way you want it. All right, so here we go. Katie, we're thrilled to have you with us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Um, And I'm so happy that you are starting a podcast. That's so exciting. I can't wait to binge listen to all of your episodes because I'm sure they'll be amazing. So excited to get to know you a little bit better today. Um, Well, and so just tell us a little bit, like how. Tell us a little bit about your you, where how you came, where you came from, how you're here, where you are now. Well, I was born on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I was born on a Sunday. Uh, well, I am. I'm based in Los Angeles, uh, about to become a New Yorker, which is uh, blowing my mind right now. I've been in LA for 30 years, so oh my you gosh, know, that's born, exciting. So. Yeah, it's um, it's really really exciting, and I'm kind of. I'm ready, I'm ready to have, you know, they talk, you talk about the hero's journey and, uh, a big part of that is the, the protagonist and the hero, quote unquote, like leaving, leaving the security nest and net and leaving the home. And I feel like I've gone through a lot of different, um, a lot of different journeys and a lot of evolution in my time, but I've never actually left the literal like physical security net of Los Angeles. I mean, I went to school even. A lot of people go away for college. I went to school in Orange County, which is like two hours south. I was going through my own issues during that time. So I was like driving up to LA every single weekend. So this is really the first time in my life that I have consciously moved away literally from everything that I know and everything that I love. And I'm really excited to see what that brings up in me and how I uh, identify myself basically without, you know, Los Angeles as a huge part of my identity. Like who am I besides my, besides my location and besides my past? Yeah. I mean, I totally get you on that. I born and raised, we're in Lawrence, Kansas. That's where we're located. And I was born and raised here. I've tried to pop off a couple of different times and have not been successful, not that that's your story at all, Uh, but I just was, you know, ready to come back home um, quickly, but I think it's such an amazing um, opportunity to really get to know yourself when you're outside of that comfort space that you've created as your 
home base yeah. for so long. Yeah, and I think that there's a, I mean, I know that at least I, because New York was always in the plans for me growing up, and I, I come from a an actual a musical theater background, so my plan was that, okay, I since I was like 13 years old, it was like, okay, I'm going to go to college, going to get my training, I'm going to work for about six months in LA and kind of find my footing as a real-life professional adult in this world, and then I'm going to move to New York and do theater in New York. And that was always the plan. And when I... <laughs> we're, you're singing my song. We're laughing yeah. because we're both theater geeks. Yeah, we and were, I was a theater we major. Uh-huh. Theater. And that's yeah. when I left. I moved to Chicago. Okay. And I was going to do Chicago for six months to a year before I moved to New York to do theater. Oh. And, <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, so it's like you know that idea of, okay, well, this is what... To be a theater person and to be a you know, a, a professional theater person, there are, just like any sort of career, any sort of profession, there are certain uh, paths and journeys and the way that that looks um, that are like the stereotypical path and what you think you should do and what you think like is necessary to follow that path. And so, yeah, for a theater person, we're all like, okay, of course, New York is where we go. When in reality that doesn't actually need to happen. You never need to be tied to a specific idea of what your goal looks like in order to achieve that goal. But I I was very tied to that. And what ended up happening is I started to get work in Los Angeles. And after a few years of, of steady work, I was realizing that I didn't really the the industry didn't really jive with me and not from like everybody says oh the the rejection it's so hard and it's like it's so hard to deal with it was never a rejection thing for me it was more that I felt that I wasn't like they weren't my peeps and that world was not the world that I felt the most myself. I mean, I would be on set and I would be looking at my watch. We had watches at the time. (laughs) Uh, I would be looking at my watch and I would be like wondering when I was going to get out of there to go to a certain class or a certain something that was after. And I remember having a moment where I was on a, um, a national commercial shoot and I was looking at my watch and there was a uh, an indoor cycling class a spinning class that my friend was teaching and I really loved the people who took that class I loved her and I really wanted to take that class and I remember counting the actual hours okay if I get out of here by this time I can make it to Venice by this time and I stopped myself and I was like wait a second Katie what are you doing here there are people who would who would kill to be in the position that you're in right now. And it was weird because it wasn't that I wasn't feeling grateful for being there because I definitely was. It was just this feeling of like, I don't, I don't belong. This isn't me. And that was the second where I was like, maybe I need to sort of put this acting thing on the back burner, not sort of, not completely get rid of it from my life because there were certain things that I did enjoy doing and there were certain unpaid things that I enjoyed doing that like my friends would do as projects. Um, and I didn't want to close myself off from that, but I did make a conscious decision to move away from that and move toward and explore the sort of, uh, 
I guess, wellness lifestyle industry that was sort of emerging at the time. But it was funny because I called my parents, who, you know, have been my biggest supporters since day one of my life and just supportive of everything that I did. And they had been so supportive of my acting career. And I remember calling them and being like, what would you think if I took a step away from acting for a little while? And both of them are like, great, do it, wonderful. (laughs) But I had worked up in my mind that this was so tied to my identity and moreover, like what was going to make people proud of me and what was going to bring me, um, bring me love and worth in my life. So in their minds, they were like, great, you're, you're talented, you're, you could do whatever you want to do, and P.S., the acting business is not the easiest business to be in, so as your parents, like, cool, great, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but I even wanted to tell you to, my parents always said, when I, when I switched career paths, they always said, when were we going to pull you off the stage, Uh because I always would joke, like, why didn't you just tell me, like, get a business degree, Becca, like, what, they would, they would laugh, and they'd be like, at what point would you like, would you, you know, what role would you, that you had, would you have liked us to pull you off the stage, kicking and screaming, and tell you, you've got to do something else, right, we're very happy that you've, you know, have something more secure now, but, yeah, I mean, the theater world is, it's amazing, I mean, I, I, I miss being entrenched in it sometimes, but I, too, yeah, it is difficult, I mean, it's a, it's just, when, when you feel that passion not there anymore, it's really hard to be in it. Yeah, it's, I, I completely relate. And the whole parental thing, like, really is, they're not going to pull you off the stage. <laughs> but it is funny that, um, not funny, haha, but funny, hmm, funny, that as theater majors and acting majors and drama majors, there is no business degree tied to that. And I feel like, there really should be like, oh my gosh, there should be some sort of business, some sort of marketing aspect to that sort of degree. Um, and it's interesting because did you, did you major in theater? Yeah, I was a theater and film major. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, no business. I feel like when people ask me, you know, do you ever regret getting a theater major? I say, hell no, because it's actually, more of a psychology major than anything. Oh, totally. Oh my gosh, I agree completely. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it's just interesting, like, how we perceive ourselves and how we think, like, we're doing right by other people when really the most important people in our lives just want to be us to be happy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was well, a bit so of a family point. path. No, no, this is great. Well, and that that what must have been a pivotal moment for you that you honored your calling inside rather than what other people want to see of you or, you know, being able to, to be, I mean, uh, the idea that you wanted to go to that class and it was something you had a longing for that you honored yeah. then started you on a truer path towards where you are now, correct? Yeah, and I will say part of it was, you know, the the class itself and the actual like details of what it was, but those that was also a community that I felt incredibly, incredibly myself in, and it was a community that fed who I felt I I was at my core, and this was coming from um, you know a, a 
quite a few years of in college, I went through a period of disordered eating and exercising, and I had an eating disorder called orthorexia, which is now finally getting some sort of press, and people are talking about it, but basically what it is, is it's at its simplest form, I define it as an unhealthy obsession with health. And so... What I, what, and it's way more, just like any sort of eating disorder, it's way more mental than it is about the food. Like, it's, it's never really about the food. It's about so much more than that. Um, but I felt like a fish out of water in college because I had always conducted myself, I'd always been friends with people who were older than I was, and I had conducted myself basically like, you know, a 48-year-old in an 18-year-old's <laughs> body, which is, like, not how most young adults conduct themselves. And especially when they go to college, it's, like, stereotypical stage of exploration. And part yeah. Exactly. And, like, a little bit of rebellion. I was not interested in any of that. I was, like, get me into shows, get me training so I can basically be an adu- the adult in this world that I want to be. And that's not who I felt I was surrounded by. And that's not, you know, a good or bad thing. It's just I, I was a different person than a lot of the people that I was meeting. And I wished that I could just kind of let any, whatever sort of, like, cadiness I had, I wished that I could just assimilate to everybody else. I wished that I could be the, you know, the 18 or 19 year old that was an 18 or 19 year old that wasn't thinking about, you know, what she was going to be doing when she was in the quote unquote, quote, real world and being an adult. So I wished that I could be that, but it just was not in my nature to assimilate to that. And when I tried to, it felt completely unnatural, completely dishonest. So I was like, I, I was really, I felt like a fish out of water. I felt like I was out of place. Um, thank God I was getting into shows and in rehearsals all the time because I don't know what I would have been doing if I wasn't. And I made some incredible friends through that. I had, I got an amazing training. I had phenomenal teachers and professors and mentors. Um, but because I was feeling sort of out of control of my environment, I... A, a part of what I associated with being an adult was feeling, basically having your body, I'm using air quotes here, under control because the adults in my life, specifically the adult women, I grew up in a, in basically a diet culture where adult women were always on some sort of diet, exercising all the time. That's just how it was. And what adult women talked about. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be an adult and I'm going to kind of get my shit to get, can I say shit on this podcast? Oh, sure. Go for it. Great. (laughs) If I can get my, my, you can always bleep me out or whatever. Um, No, we're good. If I wanted to get my shit together, I would lose the extra weight that I felt that I was feeling uncomfortable with in my body. Um, And so I did that and that was great. But then I didn't know how to maintain that. And my perception of how you maintain that is, well, you're on a diet all the time and 
you're exercising like crazy. So I kept doing that without the intention of losing weight and like not going into skinniness or anything. This was just like, okay, I feel good about myself. This is how I keep feeling good about myself. And therefore that makes me a mature adult. And when I got tied to that idea, the more and more I did that, the more and more I I couldn't step away from it. And I was, I knew something was wrong with me. I started to get headaches all the time. I was like depressed all the time. And I mean, I'm an emo person, but not like a not get out of bed emo person. This was like, I did not want to get out of bed. I did not want to do anything. I am an intro. I'm a people person, but I'm an introvert at my core. So I do need time to recharge and be by myself. But that's like, all that I wanted. And simultaneously, I was using the gym as a place to be by myself. So I was plugging in my headphones and getting in a zone. So while I wasn't addicted to the exercise, that was an area where I was, an area I was using for for solitude and to kind of check out. So the combination of that was just bad news bears. So I knew that something was wrong with me. I found one website at the time. There was literally one website at the time. It had like maybe two pages. It was probably made by like GeoCities or Angel Fire or one of those <laughs> at that time. And yeah. it talked about orthorexia. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I have. And I let enough people in on it, like told them, hey, this is what I think is going on with me, that I could kind of convince myself that I was doing enough to recover. But I still did not trust people around me. So basically, this is a very long story to get back to. I spent, you know, three, four really hard years. It took me longer than that to completely recover. Um, But three or four really hard years of feeling like I was sort of the other person and that I needed to tailor myself to fit in to a certain social group or with a certain type of person. So my final year of college, I actually moved home because I kept getting work in Los Angeles. But I was like, I need to consciously remove myself from this environment that has proved to be toxic for me. Because if I don't, I'm just going to, no pun intended, keep feeding this addiction that I have. So through that, I started to consciously put myself in situations and in communities where I felt like myself. Um, And one of those was the um, just sort of the artist and musician community. I had a group of friends in my early 20s. Uh, we called ourselves The Group. I mean, it was like one of those TV's, like sitcom style friend groups. Like my boyfriend at the time was was in the group too. So like every, like we did everything together and it was just this really gregarious but also really soulful group of individuals. And around the same time, I got certified to teach indoor cycling, teach spinning. And so I was teaching and I was finding that the fitness community was also a group that was uh, really, I guess, nurturing to who I actually was and wanted to be at my core, like who I wanted to let live, who had been in this 
this cage this entire time, like trying to be like this person or that person or fit this certain role or like, you know, how in, in singing and acting, they always talk about your type and your character. I never identified with my type because my type at the time was the ingenue because I had a higher pitched voice and because I had lost so much weight. Like I was like this teeny tiny little slight doe-eyed thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, she's the ingenue where I was, someone actually told me, um, while I was in college, I did this amazing program where I lived in New York, like a professional for two full months and we were taking classes with professionals basically like if we were living in New York um as as a professional actor actress um and one of my teachers at the time I I might have done a monologue or like a scene in his class but I don't I don't even think so I think that maybe I was just in the class and like maybe we talked a little and we walked out together this is a guy that I did not, he did not know me. I did not know him, but we had talked about our, we had gone around and talked about our type in the class. And as we were walking down the stairs, we got out, it was on, I I mean, I remember it like, (laughs) like it was yesterday. It was like 60 something and 8th Avenue. And he was like, you know, you're not an ingenue, right? And yeah, I had, I had that. (laughs) I had that reaction. I was like, whoa. And he said, yeah, you're not an ingenue. He goes, you're, so another type is a leading lady. Uh, You're a leading lady. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because I don't feel like an ingenue. And he goes, yeah, you're not this type. You're a leading lady. But just so you know, you're the kind of person where it's probably going to take a while for you to grow into your type. Huh. I know, and yeah. I, and that's always stuck with me because I, I never felt like what other people were pegging me as, especially at the time. And but that's just something that I kind of felt my whole life. Like I really, I, I, sometimes I would be sort of—I'm not a shy person, but I would sort of be shy around other people who were like really, really big, really type A personalities that sort of craved the spotlight. I'm also, I'm, I'm what's called an HSP, a highly sensitive person. Um, yep. yeah, yeah, that, that book like, <laughs> totally changed my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's I mean, yes, yes. Exactly. I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person and I'm an empath to my core. So what happens is I was just talking about this to someone yesterday. I reflect back at other people, whatever they're giving to me. So if they have a closed door, I I can't pry their doors open for them. And I'm not going to sort of, I'm not going to put myself out there in a way that I feel is going to, they're going to feel threatened or overpowered. Similarly, there are certain people who put on really huge personalities and don't want to let people in on, like, the deeper insecurities that they have. And I was picking up on that uh, on other people without even realizing it. And so what I would do is I would become a bit more uh, quiet in front of them and I would, you know, laugh at their jokes more, be a really, really good listener, which... You know, I I am. I love listening to people. It's part of why I love 
what I do right now, but I would kind of let them take the stage because I was like, this is what they need. So what ended up happening is there was this perception that I wasn't one of those big personalities also, which has taken me a really long time to live into and accept and own that, yes, I am a really big personality, but I am my own type of big personality. And there's not just this one mold of what it means to live large in your life. So fast forward a little bit for us because, yeah. you know, what I really want to know is, you know, one of the things that you and I have in common is this commitment for women to especially um, pay attention to how they talk. So, mm-hmm. you know, Women Against Negative Talk is your podcast and is your website and clearly you have a powerful commitment to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in my book, one of the happiness, in my happiness and productivity workout, you know, I think it's number two is watch your mouth yeah. and what you say. And we are, as you know, in my work, everything is about what you speak. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, you know, I, I work with my clients and part of my message is let's not have anything come out of your mouth that you don't want to create out in the world. Right. And at some point you must have had a, a moment where you thought that this is a niche that needs filling like this is somebody needs to be talking about this. Yes. Oh yes. Um, so talk to us about that for a minute. We'd love yeah. To hear that story. So I was the exact moment, you know, you have certain moments in your life that are just, um, you know, the Oprah aha moment. Or like the Oprah What I Know For Sure moment, you know, at the very back of O Magazine. I'm I'm a magazine junkie. I'm like a real simple and oh Oprah magazine junkie. Not like Heck yeah. not like Us Oprah Weekly or like, Cosmo. Yeah. Like I've been reading yeah. real simple since I was like twelve years old. <laughs> Goes along with the forty eight year old in the in the fourteen year old's body. Um anyway. That was one of the moments for me. I was on vacation with my family. This was in 2000, November 2007. So I was just coming out of my um, eating disorder. And because there had not been anything written about orthorexia, besides that one website with two pages, I had basically made the commitment that I didn't want to be leading the life and the existence that I had been, I knew something was wrong with me, but I was going to have to guinea pig on myself. So this was after, you know, uh, basically a year of maybe a little less than that, like six months of trial and erroring on myself. And it was a very, very up and down experience. So I was really in the middle of this sort of recovery period. I was on vacation with my family and I was upstairs. We were in Hawaii and I was upstairs and I was like taking a nap or something. And I remember turning on TV and I was flipping through the channels and the very first Dove Real Bodies commercial came on. Do you remember that? With all the in the white underwear? I remember it. Yeah. And it was the very first um, to my knowledge, at least, it was the very first big, like, media body positive campaign. It was really what started kind of what has now evolved into the body positive movement that's going on right now in the media. Um, and I remember seeing it, and it, there were two thoughts. Actually, it was really three thoughts that went on in my head. First one was, 
oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, second thought was, well, because the whole campaign was love your body, speak beautiful. You sh- every, everybody is a beautiful body. So love yours, basically. Um, so first thought was, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Never seen anything like this before. Second thought was, well, wait a second. What happens on those days when you don't really love your body? What happens on those days when you don't feel beautiful? Like, where are the steps to get to that? The third thought was, oh, I need to start something where it gives women tips and tools and tricks and resources to get to that place where they feel beautiful. And it should be called want standing for women against negative self or negative talk. It was like a boom, boom, boom thing. Awesome. All hit me at the same time. And I wrote it down. Like, I wish that I still had it. Maybe it's at my parents' house somewhere, but I wrote it down on like one of those pieces, like notebook pads that the hotel gives you, um, like hotels give you on the desks when you check in. Um, or maybe when it's like a napkin and I wrote down women against negative talk. And I wrote down basically like mission statement. I came back downstairs and I went to my parents and I was like, this is what I thought about. This is what I want to do. I'm so excited. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing idea. And from there, so remember, this is 2007. I was like, okay, so what do you do when you want to create a brand? And in in my mind, I was like, this is going to be an awareness campaign. That's the phrase that I thought of in my whatever, it was 21-year-old, 22-year-old mind. It's like, okay, well, what do you do when you want to start a website, an awareness campaign or movement? Okay, you make a website and you make shirts. So I'm going to make a website and shirts. That's not how you begin a business. <laughs> no, but that's okay. Hey, There's a plan. You got to start yeah, somewhere. Exactly. So I made, I enlisted somebody who I had gone to high school with to make a website for me. Um, the logo at the time was I took my hand and I made the love symbol, the sign language love symbol. I put it in paint. I put it down on a piece of paper and I wrote want under it. And that was my logo. So I had a website with the logo. I made shirts. The shirt said um, my beauty myself instead of my body myself. Um, and there was like tank tops and shirts and I was like great I've got this and I sent an email to all my friends and family and then that was it (laughs) because there were no blogs at the time um so it wasn't like I could start a blog plus I didn't really know like what what to do with this thing that I thought of but mostly I realized in in hindsight I didn't realize it at the time I realized that I had created what I so desperately needed at the time and I was not in a place where I could deliver it like I didn't know what to deliver I just knew that this is what I wanted to see yeah but you also didn't quit right because that's 2007 yeah it's well it's interesting I didn't quit it it definitely fizzled out I sent an email to all of my friends and family, like I said, and um, all of a sudden, like, people started, the way that people were responding, it kind of took me by surprise, because everyone was really, really into it, and I remember a really close family friend of mine who's in the industry, she was like, 
she knew someone on like a, a morning show and she said, I know someone at wherever I would love to hook you up with them. But if they contact you, you're going to have to be able to deliver the goods. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. Like, yeah. deliver the goods. Like, what does that mean? Like, I've got shirts. <laughs> you want a shirt? Yeah. I've got some really <laughs> cool t-shirts. Exactly. <laughs> so that kind of took me back. And then as people kept getting excited about it, and I didn't really know what to do with it, it just kind of, like, fell into the background. Like, I didn't really do anything with it. But as I started to talk about it, I mean, I wrote... Um, you know, the mission statement and the manifesto that I have on the site right now, that is um, almost verbatim what I wrote back in 2007. Because when I saw the campaign and while I was doing the work within myself, something that I, that I was doing was really actually listening to what the women around me and not just family and friends, but just like the women in society around me, how they were speaking to themselves and to each other and the kinds of things that they were bonding over. And I made a pact with myself because I had internalized that my entire life. I made a pact to not internalize it and to really just look at it because I am a very left brain person, look at it from an analytical standpoint. And so what I heard, what I actually heard at that time, were w women using what I called, what I then coined as casual negativity, which is basically using negative terminology and speaking negatively about yourself with no emotion attached to it. You know, as easily as you would say, and emotionless as you would say, the sky is blue, the grass is green, I hate my thighs, I'm so fat. Like, these weren't emotion-filled and emotionally um, loaded phrases. They were just things that, like, Jay, you say to people, listen to what is coming out of your mouth. People weren't listening, women weren't listening to what was actually coming out of their mouths, but this has become the loop and the, the vernacular that not only were women using with themselves, but they were using with other people and they were using yeah. to bond with other people. And I was yeah. like, this is craziness. Yeah. yeah. You all get together, all the ladies get together and we talk about, and somebody says, oh, I love your dress. And you're like, oh my God, I look so fat in this dress. And you don't even realize exactly. that you said it. Exactly. Yeah. Like you yeah. can't take the compliment and... Moreover, like if you're, it's kind of like the Amy Schumer, um, have you seen the Amy Schumer sketch where it's all the women sitting around the table and they're like, ugh, I was so bad last night. I ate this or I did that. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Yeah. And then at the end, Amy's like, actually, I feel great. And everybody looks at her with this condescending look like, oh, no, you didn't. And then she yeah. goes, oh, but I had a croissant and I feel like a fat pig. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, no, oh, you're so yeah. great. You're so beautiful. Yeah. Like. I realized we didn't know how to talk to each other and connect beside, like out of this negative realm. So that was happening, but I didn't know how to explain it to people besides the fact, besides saying like, oh my gosh, this is going on. So what sort of fizzled into the background because I didn't know what to do with it and I started to become interested in, like interested in, in, um, fitness and wellness and wellness as a whole and what it really means because I had gone through this idea of what I thought was healthy 
and excuse me, which wasn't really healthy. So exploring like, okay, well, what is health? And is there really a one size fits all? And why do we think that there's a one size fits all? And so what sort of faded into the background as I became more interested in in that through teaching fitness, through um, writing freelance, and then becoming an, an editor and one of the founding editors on an online um, wellness lifestyle site. But what was always something that people like kept bringing up to me and saying, oh, remember that thing want that you thought of? That was such a good idea. Or they would see something that was like a, a self image or body positive or just positivity focus campaign and they'd send it to me and like with like hashtag want on it and I wasn't doing want at the time at all which was really interesting um and once I got uh, into my full-time job my editorial job I was writing more sort of mind-body type pieces and after a few years of this I got that that itching and that nagging again at me where kind of like when I was transitioning from acting, I was like, I'm meant to do something more. I got that, that aching, like I'm meant to do something more. And I was watching a video online. I think it was Brene Brown's Ted talk her vulnerability Ted talk, which is like, mm, Oh my gosh. Like yeah, yeah, she is like high, high priestess of everything. Yeah. Bow oh, yeah. down to Brene. Um, <laughs> she is want woman supreme. Um, and I watched it and I remember thinking, and I think I was led to that talk by a Marie Forleo video who I was ah, kind of yeah. really interested in at the time who Marie Forleo was, if, if you look at her backstory, I was looking at it and I was like, oh my gosh, she literally has the exact same story as me down to when she was little, she was into drawing and she thought she was going to be an animator for Disney. Like it was, it blew my mind how similar we were. So I was watching her and I was watching, and I'm like, oh, I've got to do something of my own. And I was watching Brene Brown's video and thinking I've got to do something of my own. And just like it had come back to me, it had come to me in the hotel room Watching that video, I was like, oh my gosh, want. Want is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know how to deliver it now. And I not only know how to deliver it from a technical standpoint, from, you know, what I had been doing at my work. Like, I know how to how to write a business plan for this. I know how to scale this. I know how to put together an editorial calendar and, like, create create content and create stuff that just keeps on going. I also had put in the time and put in the actual work with myself that I knew how to deliver it. And I was very confident in what I knew. And more importantly, I was confident in what I didn't know because there was definitely a time there where I was, I wasn't confident in what I didn't know. And I was sort of trying to prove myself to people around me and I had gotten to a point in time and this was uh about two years ago now so 2014 and want launched in January 2015 I was like I know what I know and what I don't know I know how to ask other people and go to their expertise and that was huge for me because you can't always you can't always have the answers. And when you pretend like you have all the answers, that's when you get into big trouble. So 
Well, but it also takes something to be someone who, you know, I coach a lot of women mm-hmm. around making requests yes. and, being, and, and how powerful people make powerful requests. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't know how to make requests. So it's also powerful to be able to know that you don't know, but know that you're willing to ask. Yes. Yeah. And I was not a, a pro requester <laughs> for pretty much my whole life. I would say I've gotten more comfortable with it within the last three or four years. So when I was like doing a lot of work as managing editor and fitness editor and mind body editor and like associate editor, like all these different roles for my other job, it forced me to make requests of people who I viewed as, oh my gosh, this person is so much, so out of my league or, oh my gosh, this person is not going to want to talk to me. I made a deal with myself and I use this every single day of my life and especially when things feel hard or I get scared or nervous I say Katie think about it later do it now think about it later you have full permission to think about how scary it was how nervous you were oh my gosh how hard this was later but your job right now is to actually do the work And that's something that really helped me start to make requests from a powerful place and stop using justs and shoulds. And, you know, I would really like you to do this, but if you can, it's totally okay. Happy face, winky face, like heart emoji. Like, no, just, just, just make the request and you can be a kind and like grateful and because I I had this idea that you couldn't be effusive and kind and and full of gratitude if you were making a request which is complete BS um I I realized that I can be all of those things while still being strong in my request and that's something that has oh my gosh that's helped me so much it helped me when I reached out to to you to do the podcast because I was like I, I love I love what Jay is doing so much. Um, and there was this thought that came in of, well, I don't know if he's going to want to talk to me. I don't know if this is going to be his jam. And is is this the kind of podcast or site? Or is he going to ask about my numbers? I don't know what kind of numbers he's going to want. <laughs> I literally just had somebody ask for my numbers who I thought oh, really? was way way out of my league and she's going to be on, I'm recording with her next week. I'm so excited. Her team asked for my numbers and I was like, crap, I, I record, I let these out into the world every three weeks. So maybe my numbers aren't as big as some other people. Cause it's not as consistent. I gave her my numbers and I thought, okay, think about it later. Give the numbers now, just own it. And sure enough, her PR team came back to me and was like, cool, let's schedule an interview with her. Let's hear the days that were available. Like, we get into our heads so often. So with you, I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell him how much I love him. I'm going to, like, <laughs> effuse all over him after and tell him how much I love him after. But right now, make the request. Just make her request. Yeah. And yeah. we One, yeah. had a great a great time together. We did, we did, and I and that making requests though is such a powerful tool. And you just spoke to it, leaving out all the justs and all the and maybes and being effusive and I mean, not shitting all over yourself. Yeah, and yeah. going from being a, a woman in business to being a man in business—that's one of the things I noticed 
one of the key things I noticed the most is how men are already trained to just say what I want and when can I have it and then shut up. Yeah. And that's it. And guys just seem to know that. Where women are, I think, trained to be apologetic. Yes. And, you know, I think that there's there's probably somewhere right in the middle that's, like, if there is such thing as a perfect balance, like, there's somewhere in the middle where you have the, the emotional side and the, yeah. like, do this now, like, cut and dry side. There's got to be some sort of balance in the middle where... Well, I think you're modeling, you know, and I love that you say, I'll think about it later. Mm -hmm. You know, you can think about it later because giving yourself permission to ruminate if you want to, but at least you're, you're getting an action. Exactly. Like I know that I know myself well enough that (laughs) I'm not going to be able to completely push it out of my mind. And if I do, it's going to, it's going to come back around some way in a really not good way. (laughs) So giving myself that permission to think about it later. I mean, even stuff with like, with this move. I mean, I have, my brain is like crazy right now. I, I called, I'm supposed to have like a, a a dentist appointment or something soon. And I thought yesterday, I thought in the middle of my class, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm supposed to be at my dentist appointment right now. And I, like I'm all over the place right now, but I'm taking it one step at a time and thinking, okay, think about how overwhelmed you are later. Because if you think about that now, you're going to get stuck in that overwhelmed place. Like, reflect on it later and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe all of that stuff that just happened? Like, have, have you know, what Brene Brown calls the vulnerability hangover. Have the, have the extrovert hangover, but be in it. Like, show up when you need to show up. That's great. That's great so advice. awesome. <laughs> so tell me, I know that um, my work resonated with you on a particular level, and that's kind of how we met. You asked me to be on your podcast, and I sent you my book. Yeah. And so, and so uh, obviously, my book and your work have a lot in common, yeah. <laughs> right? And part of it is the uh, watching what we say to ourselves. but And then, you know, again, the thing that you, you talked about earlier about how, you know, you, you had this flash of the want and, you know, all law of attraction and coaches and Jack Canfield's one of my favorite. He says mm-hmm. they have it in the shower. Talk about those moments when you have that download, when you're just, you're clearly in alignment. You have that download. And you had it, you moved on it. But what I love about it and what I love to talk about is that whole idea of staying on the horse, even if you get bucked off really hard sometimes, if you continue to just show up and do what you know is yours to do, eventually it all ends up coming into alignment. And right now, not that your life is even close to, like, you're very young and you're out there kicking ass in the world. Thank you. It's so exciting for me to see you're having a new alignment that now is taking you to New York, right? You've got the Wattcast is going big. Talk to us about your move to New York because what's taken you there in particular? Is it Did you just decide, okay, it's time for me to go to New York or – don't you have something calling you there? Yeah, well, I thought so. in the in the actual sense of like what is in New York that's going. So my boyfriend has a job opportunity there. So there's that. But I will say this is something that we've been talking about for a while, and he had sort of he had been talking about like working that into his own business plan for a while because he loves he loves the idea of. Build not building something from scratch, but building on 
like building something new upon something that is already established, like make it t- turning something from good to spectacular. And he is a brand strategist and he works for um, a branding agency that's out here in Los Angeles. And he is their, he's their associate director. So there's two CEOs and then there's him. So he's like kind of the third, the third person on the, like the high end. So they are international and they've got East Coast clients and my boyfriend, Jeremy, he was like, I feel like the next step for my company and for me is to create a presence in, like a solid presence in New York and I want to build that office. That's something that he mentioned to me um, Okay, what is it? 2016, April 2016 right now. He mentioned it to me probably last year around May or June, which is right around before I had my big meltdown of do I need to leave my job or not. (laughs) So when he said that to me, I was like, whoa, 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 too much to think about right now. (laughs) Like I'm trying to work out my own stuff. But he was like, what do you what do you think about this idea? And coming from, you know, being someone who New York wasn't the plan for myself for a really long time, I felt like that was interesting, but there was this idea of it's not the right time right now. Like if we were to move to have moved a year ago or a year and a half ago or whatever it was. And I said to him, I was like, is this an idea that you have because you just kind of want to start something Like, you actually want to do this? Or is it because you are sort of, like, running away from something? Like, what is the reason behind this? Like, do you just want a fresh start? Or is this something that you actually want? So I think that that, like, that was kind of twofold. For me, I didn't want to make the move if it was just, um, like, to have the adventure of it, basically. Because I... Am I'm not I'm not a natural risk taker, and I'm not a natural like oh let's just let's just see we'll see I do like having plans in place, and part of that for me meant that if we're going for it, like his work is the thing that's spurring us going, like is this something that is a we'll see like let's just do this type situation or do you have an actual plan like. What's behind this? So it's something that we talked about for a really long time. And I also just, I didn't feel like it was the right time for me because I didn't know like where, where I wanted to take want. I was feeling like it was getting to the point. And once I launched it, I knew that if it got to the point where it was feeling like it was draw, it was pulling my focus. I, I knew that there was going to be some sort of hard decision that I would have to make in the future where I would have to leave my job or go down to part-time. So when he, and he did a couple like freelancing things for a while just to try it out. And he's like, "Eh, it's not for me. He had a talk with his company and they told him, this is around the end of last year, um, they were like, so opening up a New York office is in the plans for us and you're the one we want to do it, which is crazy because that was something that like they said to him without even really him saying, hey, this is what I want to do. 
um, let's, let's do this and really getting that ball rolling. He had mentioned it to them, but it was something that they brought up and they start, they made happen. And it was the exact time where he was like, I am ready for this. And I was ready for it because I don't think that I would have been ready for it at any other time because I had left, I'd left my full-time job. I had been doing want solo for a while and I was very confident in the fact that I can do what I'm doing wherever wherever I go and I was ready for a next step and I felt like New York would be really I felt like that next step meant moving to New York yeah Yeah, shaking up your paradigm yeah and it was it's interesting because I, at the same time, I had also been feeling that, like, um, I, I, I don't want to say the itch, like, when people say, like, I'm having the, the itch, like, the stage bug has caught me. It's not that. I, I was just feeling like, and I felt this for a while, I am, I talk a lot about your through line on want, and it's something that is the the common theme in everything you love and the common goal in everything you do. And I, through my whole life, my through line is using my unique voice to inspire someone, to inspire change in someone else and inspire them to find their own unique voice. And that's something that I had through my art, through singing, through acting, through writing, through teaching indoor cycling classes, like every single thing I did, that's what my through line was. And I was starting to feel like, okay, I'm very, very comfortable now doing like the writing stuff and doing the teaching stuff. And I feel like the next step with want is to be on a stage of sorts. So not doing one-on-one coaching because I'm very clear with people. I'm not a coach. Like if you want one-on-one coaching, then I will refer you to incredible life coaches like Jay Pryor. But that's, that's not what I do. And I'm not going to pretend that like, that's what I do. So I'm a writer, I'm an artist and I'm an activist. And I had been feeling like right around the time that I decided to start the podcast, I'd been feeling like want needs a bigger stage right now and I'm ready to give it that. And so when New York came up, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I feel like, and I don't know what those opportunities look like, but I feel like that opportunity lives in New York. So I am just nothing but excited but it's it's been really interesting because yeah like you said I haven't gotten off the horse it's just you know the horse has taken me down different trails than I necessarily expected and I I was saying to somebody and I just wrote something like your heart never forgets your dreams so you know people say be careful what you wish for it's kind of like be careful what you dream for so if you've got a dream in your heart that you want to go out there and do something or be somewhere or or make something or be some sort of force in the world if that dream is strong enough and it's not just like a fly-by-night lust that you have it's going to show up in your life it just might not show up when or how you expect it to 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing as whenever you, if you can see it, you can have it. But yes. sometimes what, all you can see is 25 feet in front of you. Yes. Yes. Right. I mean, so you can only go that 25 feet until you see the next 25 feet. To the, and, and the purpose though is to just keep taking that 25 feet and don't quit and you'll get where you want to get. Yeah. Yes. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Now, we started this conversation initially with your spiritual gangster t-shirt. Yeah. And yet we've not said a word about spirituality. And, you know, uh, again, from my book and all my work, I call transformation chipping away at everything that's not your highest, best self Mm -hmm. through practicing progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, How does spirituality fit into your work and your world and the want cast and all of that? That is a fantastic question. I mean, where doesn't? it fit in <laughs> and and it's it's funny because it people i think that people think of spirituality as it needs to be like this hippy diffy hippy dippy floofy thing um and it really doesn't have to be it it can be spirituality is whatever you make it and um spirituality also doesn't have to do with religion um, right. And right. At all, at all, at all. At all. And, <laughs> and it's spirituality, like, you don't have to be a super, I think people think that to be a spiritual being, you need to be super right-brained and super, um, like, think outside of the box in a very abstract, sort of creative, right brain artsy way. Like, that's not spirituality either. Spirituality is just... Uh, a trust in a, a trust in the journey and a knowing that you are exactly where you are meant to be. I mean, not in like a, a fate versus free will type way, because I do feel like there is, you know, there's some debate around. Like, is everything pre-planned, predestined for us? Well, if everything's pre-planned and predestined for us, then, like, I mean, what are we doing? Like, what, 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 is, what is the point? Like, everything's planned out, so we should just, you know, sit on our couch and wait for it. It's, it's not about that. I feel like our lives are basically the living, breathing versions of those uh, create-your-own-adventure uh, young adult novels yeah. that yes. exist. I love those when I was a kid. Me too. Oh my god! I think they're they're out of print now. Like they don't make them anymore. Oh, oh you're no. yeah. I, I think I think so. we should. Maybe we should write our own. Show. I know. Yeah. I feel like that up, if that's true, we should we seriously we should totally start a series because that's what life is. Life is a choose your own adventure type experience where there are all these different chapters written out and. While, you know, that path exists, that might not be a path that you go on. Like, you might decide to turn to page 16 instead of continue on page 4. And neither choice is right or wrong. That's just going to lead you to a different place. And to me, spirituality is that trust and that knowing that you've got that adventure ahead of you and you are exactly where you need to be. And the only way that things aren't gonna work out in your favor is if you're actively working against that. And if you're fighting who you truly are, whoever that might be, whatever your passion might be, whatever your purpose might be. Yeah. Well, and what, what I'm hearing you say is my, one of my favorite Abraham quotes is, 
you know, you can't get it wrong and you're never going to get it done. Yes. <laughs> yeah. me, yes. That, I mean, I tell myself that, con- I tell my clients that constantly, you can't get it wrong. I mean, there, you cannot get this wrong. You have forever. You are, we're, you know, I just had a note from the universe uh, from Tut.com, which I love, uh-huh. that uh, said, you know, you preceded time and space and you will after, before it, you were here before it, you'll be here after it, you have forever. So time is not an issue. You can't get it, you know, you're never going to get it wrong. Right. So I love that. And that's exactly what I believe in. Yeah. In, in terms of spirituality, it is, it is all of that. Um, and it's, and if we stay grounded in that, again, it gives us the courage and the confidence. It's, it's faith. It's like having that faith that no matter, no matter what I do, especially if I step out and I'm willing to be vulnerable and share myself with the world, then I can't, I can't get it wrong. I can't lose. Yes. And it's that, I mean, I feel like to me, the biggest tragedy of life is when people have not created their own unique and lived into their own unique identity for themselves. And the most heartbreaking thing is like seeing, seeing people who are, you know, over a certain age, any person, but especially when you're like over a certain age and you're in that last stage of life and they like don't know who they are because they haven't spent the time doing the work. They haven't spent the time being on their path. They have spent their time being on someone else's path. I Do you know, um, have you read Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed? No. Oh no, my read gosh. That it's super good. It's love her. My absolute favorite book. I actually just pulled it off my bookshelf because so what it is, it's it's a compilation of her um advice column, Dear Sugar. Uh-huh. And it's kind of like a best of of that. So there is a there's a person who wrote to her asking basically about the idea of becoming a father and not knowing if he wants to be a father or not. And both he and his, his wife are on the fence about it. And he's like, so here I am now exploring the idea of becoming a father, exploring it for real and deeply sugar help me. And basically she says, I'm going to read you the last line of this and then I'll buy you the book. Um, (laughs) She, she basically says that she talks about, like, what is a good life? Like, there is no one definition of a good life, and you need to choose what the good life is is for you. And either life, child or no child, is going to be a good life, but it's a choose-your-own-adventure type situation. So the last little paragraph is, she says, she says, basically, um, like, what would have happened if I, if I hadn't met my husband? What wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done this and this and what would I have experienced and where would that have taken me? And she writes, I'll never know and neither will you of the life you don't choose. We'll only know that whatever that that sister life was, it was important and beautiful and not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't carry us. There's nothing to do but salute it from the shore. Yours, sugar. I I, I love that. I love, it's, it, and it sticks with me anytime, like right now when I'm, I'm moving in two weeks and I'm like, well, what if I stayed? What if I stayed in L.A.? Like what would happen? What am I missing out on and what's going to happen? But like I'll never know. If I stayed in L.A., it's like what would have happened if I, mo- didn't, if I moved to New York? And the one thing I never want to do is live with regret. That's like it's the same tragedy. It's like the most unfortunate 
thing and it's completely preventable. So all I can do is go off on my own path, live to my fullest and live as big and as fully as I can and whatever I would be like whatever's happening on that other adventure whatever's happening if I were to continue on page four instead of go to page 18 all I can do is salute that from the shore yeah Yeah, you can send them to womenagainstnegativetalk.com. It's all one word. Uh, you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook. It's at Women Against Negative Talk um, or want Women Against Negative Talk because Facebook isn't at things. Um, Twitter, at Katie Horwich. Instagram, both at Katie Horwich and at Women Against Negative Talk now. Um, the Women Against Negative Talk account is more focused on quotes and about sharing from the community, and it's actually something that I just started up. Um, and <laughs> you can find me at the Wantcast, which is on iTunes. And I would say definitely download Jay's episode. It's one of the very first ones that you listen to because it is one of my favorites. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here <laughs> on Skype with you. Um, and yeah, I do in-person events. I have been doing them in LA. I'm definitely going to be doing them in New York. And you can find about find out about that all on on the website. Nice. Okay. Nice. That takes care of all of them. Okay. There well, awesome. There's, I'm, we'll definitely keep all of that stuff in the show notes as well. And one of the ways we end our podcast is that I ask the question, if you could um, tell someone the one thing that they should be doing right now to could stay. Be. We could be. Sorry, we don't <laughs> should. Sorry, you're right. I'm not shitting on you. One thing that you could be doing right now to stay in the work, what could they be doing um, from from your perspective, to stay in the work. Mm hmm. Um. Ooh, that's a really good question. I think it goes back to what I said earlier: to stay in the work. Think. Do it now. Think about it later. I think that we get into our way too many times, and staying in the work means actually doing the work and that will move you forward and all of a sudden things will start happening that you could have never expected nice nice love it love it and katie we end our podcast every time i hope this is all right by um my one of my favorite things to do is acknowledge people so i would like to take a moment to just acknowledge you and appreciate you you, you know, one of my, uh, one of the reasons that I love my work and love the connections I'm making right now, right? Get to connect to all these young women. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that you're one of them that is a leader among young women that is leading us to a tipping point where women are really starting to take over the world, <laughs> which for me is, I mean, in, in all the right ways, like really leading from a place of inner power, inner beauty, knowing yourself powerfully, loving yourself powerfully, and aligning yourself with your spiritual center that is so joyous and so powerful. 
And so I just want to acknowledge and appreciate you for being the leader that you are among women and especially leading positivity and having women come from a place of loving themselves and knowing themselves as powerful and beautiful from the inside out. And I so appreciate who you are as that leader and all that you're up to. So thank you so much for being who you are and for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jay. And it really goes right back at you. I'm, I think that you are making really incredibly powerful change in the world. And there's not, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's nobody out there like you because there's only one Jay Pryor, but there's not a lot of people out there who are doing the kind of work that you are doing coming from such a, such a, a, a pragmatic yet positive and inclusive way. Cause I think that it's really, it's, it's easy to reach people if you're being aggressive and abrasive, cause that's very emotionally heavy, heavy. Um, but it takes a special kind of person to move people as individuals and just as the world and society forward from a pragmatic yet positive and, um, energizing place. And that's what the world really needs right now. We don't need any more don'ts and can'ts and, and stops. You are, you are lifting everybody up in, in an incredibly, incredibly powerful way. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. That's why I said, let's do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> let's spread that That's message. Right. Let's spread one. that <laughs> message. Well, thank you so much. Fantastic. So thank Thanks you so much. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon.